Philippians chapter 3. And the verse we'll be looking at this morning is verse 6. However, I'm going to read from uh, verse 1, just to put it into context. So Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. And then verse 6, our verse for today. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Father, may you be delighted as I share your word this morning. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. So over a month ago, we um, started looking at the, the um, seven items that Paul kind of um, thought there were brownie points for him towards God. He thought these seven points, these seven aspects were a um, assets before God. So when he stands before God, these are my assets. And I, 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 because of these things, I stand um, in the right standing before God. And so from verse 5, uh, we, the, it, it's listed of these uh, seven items. The first one, he says, circumcised the eighth day. The second one, of the stock of Israel. The third one of the tribe of Benjamin. The fourth one, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Fifth one, concerning the, uh, the law, a pride Pharisee, he would say. And then today, the sixth one, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And also, number seven, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, he says, declares that he was blameless. Now, I won't spend uh, time to recapping all those uh, seven or the, those five points or those five aspects. If you want to, we do have the recording on, on our website, so you're more than welcome to go and listen to that. However, I will spend time looking at these ones, the scripture, verse 6 this morning. And I think maybe you might be wondering why. Why? Why is it really necessary for me to spend such a long time uh, looking at these facts. Is it really necessary? Have you had those questions? Good question. Good question. Yes. Why? Why do I need to know that he was circumcised on the eighth day? Or he comes from the stock of Israel? Or he's from the tribe of Benjamin? Why? 
Or can I just remind us that every single thing that is in the Word of God, everything that is written, is written there for a purpose and a reason. It's not just coincidence. It's not just someone who thought, Ah, oh, man, uh, I'm bored. Let me just put this down. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. There's a reason. Every single thing in the Word of God has a reason, a purpose, and a meaning. And also too, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Word of God, I, I sometimes think like Paul was a superhuman. I, I, it sounds, it looks like he, he had it all together most often. I mean, his encouragement to us, you know, love one another, forgive each other. Man, this, these are things that we battle with all the time, don't we, as human beings? But he seems as though he had it all together. But when I read the Word of God, and as I read these aspects of his life, I also realize that Paul was not superhuman. That Paul was human like you and I. He had emotions. He had troubles. He had uh, um, desires. He had um, longings. He, he was just like you and I. And so we can relate to him. Yes, he was called by God, just like you and I are, for the purposes that God has placed before us, for his glory, for the king of kings' glory. So the fact that um, uh, Yana was in this whole situation, that you've been, you're, you're part of this um, family, that all of this happened, it wasn't to... To glorify you, Yana, I'm sorry to use you, but it wasn't to glorify you, but we, it's to give God the glory, that He gets the glory. Of course, He uses you, and you are delight, you're delighted that He can use you. Uh, part of the key is to be able to allow Him to use us, that we don't take the glory. We don't take the, the uh, thanks. We don't, uh, you know, we don't acknowledge Him, it's us, it's Him. But Paul was also human. So the sixth of Paul's perceived asset was his religious zeal. And to prove that um, uh, he was at the top of his religion, he became the foremost persecutor of this new rival religion. If you've read Paul's story, he persecuted the church. He persecuted the church. And in fact, he didn't just stumble across upon some Christians and he would, I oh, you're a Christian so I'm going to persecute you. No, no, he was intentional. He would go and find them. He would go look out for these Christians so they can persecute them. So he can show them that this religion that you're talking about is utter nonsense in his thinking. He persecutes. So it starts off by saying, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. See, the man who wrote Half of the New Testament was at one time its principal persecutor. Oh, how gracious our God is. The man who's the most notorious one, who's going down and under, God turns him around and uses him to glorify himself. The man who was against Christianity is the very man that God used to bring Christianity to the world, to share of God's goodness. 
How, how gracious our God is. How merciful our King is. You know, Acts um, 8 verse 3 says this of Paul. As for Saul, who's Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. I mean, that's a person who's got an uh, intention. He's got an intention. He went into all the houses, dragging them. I mean, it, it, you don't just stumble upon this. It didn't just happen. He was... He had a motive. He had a motive. But man, I'm just so grateful to, uh, for God's grace that He can just turn him. So guess what? That person that you battle with, that is, in your maybe um, opinion, the most evil person on the face of the earth, God can redeem them. God can redeem them. See, the word concerning in this verse means according to the standard of, it was the norm of Paul's life to persecute the church. He made it an absolute norm to be religiously zealous. In those days, no other Jewish leader surpassed Paul in his religious enthusiasm. This guy was passionate. He was passionate, but, you know, we're called to be passionate Christians. We've got to go take the gospel to the world. And sometimes we kind of drag our feet. We've got to get encouraged. Yes, life gets us, bogs us down. This man was going to take the gospel away from the world. He was trying to silence those who were uh, preaching the word of God with enthusiasm. See, if salvation ca um, came by zeal and enthusiasm, Paul would have been on the top of God's brownie point. There was no one more sincere than Paul. How sincere are you this morning? How sincere are we? With this wonderful gospel that Jesus Christ has given to us. How sincere are we? But you see, sincerity is not an excuse for wrongdoing. You can be sincere in your wrongdoing, but it's still wrong. Wrong is wrong. An example is if, if someone goes to a medicine cabinet and they want to go take some, for instance, cough, cough medication, and somehow they end up taking the wrong medicine, which is poisonous, you're not supposed to have it, they take it in sincerity. But regardless of them taking it and drinking it in sincerity, they will be deadly wrong. But they did it out of sincerity. But no, not only did they do that out of sincerity, they did it out of, in some ways, ignorance. They took the wrong medication. Maybe they didn't read the word, they took the wrong medication. Sincerity in that context is no virtue. See, Paul was mightily sincere, but he was wildly wrong. And Christianity loses its character 
when it makes a virtue of zeal over truth. So Christianity, the word of God is truth. John 17, 17 says that the word of God is truth. So what do we base our decisions on? What do we look for? We have to look um, and base our lives upon the truth of God. And if you base your life and your decision upon the truth of God, you cannot, be, uh, you cannot go wrong. You, you cannot go wrong because you're basing it upon the truth, upon something, something that is unchanging. It's not just some fancy idea. It's not just some clever mind who came up with this. It is the truth, the firm foundation, the one who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever as we know. So what do we base our lives on? What do we base our, uh, our desires on? Is it the truth of God? Is it? Or is it the, 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 the truth of what we are reading, perhaps, or hearing, or learning? Those things are okay. There's nothing wrong with learning. But the truth, the absolute truth, remains in the Word of God. And the Word of God is unchanging. Unchanging. How often are we reading the Word of God? How often are we asking questions? Not to me, not to each other, to the King of Kings. When you're reading, reading His Word, how often are you sitting back and, and asking, God, I don't understand. Could you help me understand this? Could you show me the truth of this? What does it mean? Some things are plain to see, but God has hidden things in His Word so that we can seek Him through His Word, so we can spend time with Him. And as we do that, so He engages us, so He, he refreshes us. So we, it's magnificent. There's some things I've, I read in, the, in His Word that I've read for years. And as I just engage and ask and spend time, man, the truth comes out. I see it in a different angle. I see, the, I see it differently. It doesn't change the truth, but I see it differently. The truth still remains the truth. How often are we spending time in His most holy word? Not out of religion. You can tick that box. I spend X amount of time reading His word. I'm going through the Bible in a year. Or, you know, you know all those things that, that, are, that are not bad. They're designed to help us. But sometimes they just become religion. We just tick boxes. We're doing it. We've done it. But how close? What has it done for you? Can I ask? And can I go to the other extreme and say, um, you know, the Word of God says that the Spirit of God will remind us of the things that Jesus Christ taught us. How does He teach us? It's through reading His Word. So in fact, doing those things, ticking those boxes, is not necessarily wrong. I'm not saying don't do this. Because the Spirit of God needs those to remind you of what you've read. So don't stop. It's a motive thing. We need to do it with a motive that longs to draw closer to Him. For His glory and for our benefit. Religious zeal, as I say, is no virtue in itself. Zeal minus truth is actually ignorance. 
We need truth. When you've got truth, you can be zealous. You can go for it. You can, black Paul, go and cause havoc based on the truth. We can see the, the commentary on, about this, this zealous life that Paul lived out of ignorance in 1 Timothy, verse, um, 1, Timothy 1 verse 13, which says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent, uh, insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So those who are not saved, those who that we sometimes uh, want to box with, they do things out of ignorance because they are blind. Because the God of this age, the word says that he is busy. He has blinded men and women. They do not know. They do not know. So how about, instead of us speaking to myself, instead of us wanting to box the whole time on, on, play, on, on um, human level, let us go to where we ought to be fighting. Let us spend time in prayer. And pray for those people who are problematic, as it were. Pray that God would have mercy upon them. Would have mercy upon them. Even if you don't really want to, God says that we need to. Ask Him to help us. Where our hearts are maybe not so excited to pray for someone. Because that someone has hurt you, or whatever the case might be. Uh, be honest to God, with God and say, God, I, I, I don't want to pray for that person. That person has hurt me. That person actually... Good, let them be. <laughs> let them be. But that's not God's heart. Ask Him to help you. To be different. Now I'll say I battle with that with some people in life. I'm not... I'm not perfect, but I thank God for His grace. And so sometimes when I do get to a place, I'll spend time and say, God, I'm sorry, but I don't, I don't really feel like doing this. I don't want to pray for that person. In fact, I think they deserve what they get and what's coming. But then I'm quickly reminded that once upon a time, I was also lost. Once upon a time, I, will, I would have been like that person I would have been possibly causing havoc with other people's lives. But by the grace of God, He showed mercy upon me. So how about we do that for other people? Are we good? Yes. I think you must come to this church, ma'am. <laughs> the seven... Seventh and last asset that Paul declared before his conversion was about his own human righteousness. Oh, how guilty are we when we uh, fall into that place where we want to be righteous out of our own, own ability. It says, concerning righteousness, which is in the law. So the law tells us that if you follow the law, you are righteous. If you do all the right things, then you are actually deemed to be righteous. It says, concerning that, I am blameless. See, this is righteousness without God. It is fake. It is fake righteousness. You cannot be righteous 
outside of God. You can in your best effort try to be righteous by yourself. But without God, outside of God, it is actually futile. It is actually fake in inverted commas. Paul kept up with his sacrifices. He followed the re his religious practices without a, uh, any mistake. He followed it. He followed everything that needed to be. So in, in, in the face of people, he would be seen as a righteous man. He's ticked all the boxes. I've followed all the, the, the requirements. He did that. He was blamelessly geared in keeping... Um, the sacrifice of the, of the law. Whatever the law prescribed, he adhered to. Those mechanisms of perceived righteousness, he adhered to. Paul never failed to keep them. He, Paul was truly religious. Are you truly religious this morning? But you see, regardless of the fact that he was truly religious, who was uh, uh, sold out to this, this life of, of uh, righteousness that's brought by the law, he was religious, but he was lost. So you can be religious and follow all those things, but you are utterly lost. What good is that? See, to depend on anything but the blood of Christ is actually fatal. Paul did not say that he was perfect. He merely asserted his faithfulness to religion. He kept the ceremonial law perfectly. See, the contrast here is between human righteousness and God's righteousness. So at what, with your life, we obviously know that Jesus Christ, has, we depend on His righteousness. We are seated here this morning, we have breath in our lives because of Him, His grace. Not because of our own, but we, or we often will go back into the relig religious way of life. Because we, it makes us feel as though we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. It's like, uh, I'll share... The thing about religion. So, money is a big thing in our lives, isn't it? Money is a big thing. We need it. Uh, we, need, we need it. We need to, to, to live. But as Christians, I have come, for myself, come to find that there are principles that God has put in, uh, in His Word. And when you go over those principles... You become religious. So, there's a principle in the, in the Word of God that says, there's a principle of uh, sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. I've heard teachings where it's been taught that if you don't give, you will not receive. There's a principle there. But can I say, God would far rather that you give out of your uh, generosity because you want to the, the amount wherever does not matter 
as long as you're doing it out of a place that you are wanting to be generous and give him glory, then he gets the glory. So the amount doesn't matter. Can I speak about tithes and offering in church? Am I allowed to do that? Yes, church needs money. Just like you, your household needs money. But for me to stand here and say, if you don't tithe, if you don't give, God's going to sort you out, is entirely wrong. It is, that's not the God that we serve. God says that he would prefer that you give out of a place of wanting to give. Not out of compulsion, but out of a desire. And if you don't, if you, I'd even for, go as far as to say, don't give if your heart is not right. Don't give, because that does not please God, because your heart is not right. But guess what? If you still give, in the principle of giving, he will still um, give. He will still multiply. Because he will do what he needs to do, because his principles do not change. Whether you're evil or not, whether you're, you're, your motives are wrong or right, his principle does not change. If you sow out of a good uh, heart, you will reap. If you sow out of a bad heart, I'm talking about money, you will still reap. Because his principle does not change. But the key thing is your motive. Do not give out of compulsion. Do not give out of guilt. It is not God's heart. It really is not God's heart. And I'll be the one standing and, and, and uh, uh, proud to say and, and encourage us, do not give with the wrong motive. Give because God wants you to give. Is that okay? It's a principle. And there are many principles in the word of God. But again, if you religiously you, you give, and so you tick that box. I am religious. I've given. I've given. And in fact, you know, we've been taught you've got to give X amount of money to the church for a worthy cause. You know? And so you give it, and you... You give it, but you give it out of a place where you don't really want to. God says, no, man, don't do that. Don't give out of a place where you don't want to give. Rather give it from a place where you want to give. Because you know that the, actually that gives God delight. It delights God when you give because you want to give. Not because you have to give. I don't know if I'm allowed to share this, but I'll share it. It was uh, that principle. Uh, uh, I'll share it. So for years, I have been tithing in church. For years, religiously, without fail, I would take my salary and I would, you know, I've been taught I've got to give 10% and I'll give it. And I'll tick for years, until one day, <laughs> I could not do it. I couldn't. I could not do it. Everything. I just. I didn't have enough to give the ten percent I was supposed to religiously give. And do you know the guilt that was upon me? The guilt killed me. And then I was uh, ministering in a in a poorer community, where people would come to me and say, "I don't have ten percent." I don't have 10%. But I've been taught if I don't give 10%, God is angry with me. 
I thought to myself, this cannot be the God that I serve. It cannot be the God that I serve. And it was that day when I went and I said, Father, I, I am so sorry for misunderstanding your way, what your word says. You desire that I give if I'm able to, and I want to give. And from that day, my heart was free, set free. So now I don't give because I have to. I give because I want to. I give because I know it delights God's heart. And if I cannot, it's okay. God does not come with his shambok, as it were, and one, wanting to sort me out. But like Paul, I was that religious. I ticked that box. I gave every month. And in fact, what God showed me, for those many years that I gave religiously, I became proud because I had given for so many years. Every month I gave. God, I'm standing before you. I'm righteous. I've been given. I've been, I've been given. No, no issue. So I became proud in my giving, as it were. <laughs> How was that? I became proud in my giving. God does not delight in those who are proud. Even in your good doing, even in your good deeds, as it were. He does not delight in it. Rather, don't do that. Sort out your, your heart first. But you cannot even sort it out yourself. You need God to help you. I touched a bit of a sensitive subject. <laughs> May God set us free. May God set us free because we don't live. We don't. We're not. Sla we're not slaves. We are His sons and daughters. And when humans have come and and caused us to be in bondage, God forgive them, forgive us, and help us, God, to set other people free. So in conclusion, I'll leave us with three questions from this text this morning. The first one is this. Have you placed your ultimate confidence in people rather than God? Have you placed your ultimate confidence in the, the religiosity that we've been taught to, to follow rather than God? Have you placed your ultimate confidence in ticking those boxes rather than than God. Obviously a healthy human being trusts people, but not in a naive way. So we are called to be together. We are called to fellowship. I'm called to learn from you as you are called perhaps to learn from me too. We exchange things. We get to know each other, but we do not do things naively. There's an English. In a naive way. We do it led by the Holy Spirit. We ask questions. I don't know th the, uh, the answer to this thing. I go to someone who knows. But ultimately, we go to King Jesus. And King Jesus will bring people along our path to help us. So where is your ultimate confidence? The second question. Is your confidence in your religion... Or is your confidence in your Savior? Jesus Christ died on the cross to set us free. Jesus finished all the suffering that needed to be done. So why are you suffering? Why did you take the suffering upon yourself? He's done it for you already. 
He did it all. Words of a famous song. He did it all. All to him we owe. All to him we owe. Anything less than that is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other grounds is sinking sand. Jesus Christ, thank you Lord for the freedom that you have purchased for us. Father, forgive us for ignorance. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, where we've just listened without asking you, without going to the Master, without going to the Word of Truth. And those of us who have maybe labored incorrectly, Lord, and, and put people in bondage, Father, I ask that you'd forgive us. In Jesus' name. Have your way with us, Lord. May we live this life in a way that you have designed, desired, Lord, and what your word says, that you have gone ahead and prepared good works for us to walk into. Help us, Lord God, to walk into those good works for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.